You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Morning, welcome to the show. Wednesday the 19th of January. Bit warmer here in TW11 this morning. Grateful for that as I'm off to Newbury on Racing TV duty today. We will, of course, be continuing our look ahead to the delights this weekend at Ascot and Lingfield. Also be having a word about whether Alaho should run at Thurless. He's got an engagement this week, the Ryanair winner. Reflecting on a significant achievement for trainer Donald McCain, who's notched up 100 winners already this season, the first trainer to do so. And it might be that Donald has a new next-door neighbour because Hugo Palmer, the dual classic winning trainer, is, according to the Racing Post in advanced talks to move to ex-footballer Michael Owen's bespoke base in Cheshire from where Tom Daskam has sent out several hundred winners over the last few seasons. We'll be catching up on the latest from Hong Kong with Jim McGrath where the issue of unvaccinated trainers is becoming a thorny one and I'll also be checking in with American trainer Kenny McPeak who has four horses quite prominent in the second future pool for the Kentucky Derby of 2022 and he tells me this isn't the first time he's been in such a privileged position. But first of all to Ireland and to Jane Mangan who I'm delighted to say is uh, back with us from holiday and Jane it seems as though Ireland is finally opening up. What's happening? Well, we're now mid-January and we're hoping that we're over the peak of Omicron and just listening to the Minister for Sport last night, Jack Chambers on RT News, though, he stated that the tracing system they use has not identified any spread related to major sporting events. So that would give government and fans alike a lot of confidence heading into um, some major sporting events. And Nefis, so our public health emergency team are expected to meet tomorrow um, and it's likely it's whispered as we know these meetings often we know the news before that there is actually any press release uh, it's expected that they will recommend easing restrictions including that of spectators attending sporting events now uh, everybody listening to this podcast will be thinking Dublin Racing Festival early February, but actually on the Saturday afternoon of the Dublin Racing Festival is the first round of the Six Nations where Ireland meet Wales in Dublin. And that's what a lot of people in Ireland are focusing on. So we're hoping that the government can make a structured announcement on Friday following Neffet's recommendations tomorrow. So it is expected in this country, there's a little bit of a positive vibe going around that we will have positive news before this weekend. A couple of things to ask you. First of all, not wishing to diminish the extraordinary importance of, of horse racing, but is there a coattails case here? Uh, are we likely to ride through on the tails of, of, of the rugby, do you think, which is going to have a stronger lobby and a higher profile? No doubt. And I don't think anybody has any issue with that. We know our place in society we know Dublin Racing Festival is very important but it was not mentioned amongst many other sporting events last night by the minister the Dublin Racing Festival was not mentioned and the first item on the agenda was the rugby so if we follow through in the shadows of that I'm okay with that once we get the positive result that we want because at the moment Leopardstown is sold out at a capacity of 5,000 which is you know relatively small for a venue of that size and a meeting of this stature deserves more and I suppose we don't want a repeat of what we had at Christmas so um, this is a positive news and something that I suppose we need because over in GB you guys have been continue continuing with some degree of normality 
over here, it's not been the case for quite a while. Uh, Ireland is having to open up its regulatory process to outside scrutiny. What's happening here? There's an Australian vet coming in. There is, and this is one of the key recommendations from the Oireachtas Committee, which met over the summer um, in light of Jim Bulger's allegations. So we have an independent audit taking place from the Australian vet, uh, Dr. Craig Swan. He's going to come in and he's going to oversee our anti-doping procedures, the IHRB's anti-doping procedures, and to see uh, if we are up to scratch. It's October 2020 when Jim Bulger first expressed his concerns about the procedures in this country. He said he was concerned with the lack of policing in racing. He said it's not up to the mark, not up to scratch. Well, since then, we've had precious little evidence to corroborate those um, accusations. But now we have the independent audit. I don't think anybody will have an issue with this because if there is something to be found, may it be found. If there is nothing to be found and if Dr Craig Swan feels that our procedures are up to international standard and there uh, is precious little other evidence to suggest otherwise then maybe it'll reinforce uh, confidence in our governing body which has taken such a hammering for what seems like very little evidence to suggest otherwise in the last 12 or 18 months. I will air cautions that we are yet to hear more news on the Monster Revan raid. But to date, Nick, do we have any real evidence to corroborate Jim Bulger's accusations? Well, I'm sure Jim would say, and, and with some justification, well, hang on a minute, what was the substance found in the Monster Revan raid? And what's happened to the to the mystery man, John Warwick? And what's happened to the horses that were there? And what are the results of the of the tests? Uh, we don't know, is the, is the answer. The only thing we know is that the the racehorses that were tested, or some of the racehorses that were tested, um, came back negative for banned at all times substances, which means that the the animal, the live animals that were there, didn't test positive for anabolic steroids effectively, or or any kind of blood booster. But we don't really know anything beyond that, and we don't know what substances were seized from from Warwick's um, person or property. Yeah, and if we are, if they are holding withholding information due to um, an investigation, I suppose we just probably, as a public and as a people, deserve to know that there is an investigation ongoing. Um, they obviously came out in a timely fashion with that. What can only be described as a neutral statement. It wasn't confirming very much. It was just um, telling us. It was telling us very little, really. But. Uh, I think now in the new year of 2022, we have this guy coming in, overseeing everything and making sure everything is up to scratch. He's got 33 years experience in New South Wales. So this guy is obviously the real deal. And um, I hope he, you know, I don't see any negative to this. It was a recommendation from the government and uh, I think it's a positive step. Okay, Jane, in all the excitement about the Clarence House Chase at Ascot this weekend, we might just have forgotten that Alaho, the Ryanair Chase hero and runaway Ryanair Chase winner last year, might yet run in the Horse and Jockey Hotel Chase at Thurless this weekend. Should he run or should he, as the owners have said they'd be perfectly happy with, go straight to the festival? Now, I'm not surprised he, we haven't seen much of him because that John Durkin was a very hard race. Um, he got a, a grueler that day, but he did land this horse and jockey hotel chase, formerly known as the Kinloch Bray, en route to glory at Cheltenham last year. And if you look at the role of honour in this race, Don Cossack twice sizing John Alaho last year, a native uppermanship won it three times back in the early 2000s. Um, this is a good race. Now, I was going down through the entries and you rightly pointed out that he's 
nearest rival on ratings, Faco Duderiz, might actually make a trip across the water. Yeah, not impossible. Has the entry in that Fleur de Lis chase as part of the Lingfield Winter Million on Sunday. San Felicia has an entry in the hurdle race at Lingfield. Gordon Elliott's twice race, twice victorious import from France. His owner, Brian Atchison, tells me he's unlikely to come to Lingfield and more likely to wait for a race at Nace the following week. Talking of that owner's superstars, what about Bob Ollinger and what did you make of him at the weekend, Jane? Because he impressed his trainer, but he didn't impress everybody. Yeah, I was impressed. I was in Goran for the the beginner's chase where everybody, you know, had their opinion and a lot of people criticised his jumping. Uh, lest we forget the fourth horse or the third horse from Goran was Master Maxi who came out and won a grade one subsequently. But um, there was proper pressure applied to Bob Ollinger, proper pressure applied to his jumping. I know we missed the three fences down the back straight in Punchtown, which is obviously for novices, it's usually detrimental for their own experience going forward. But um, he had a lot of questions to answer turning in. Capadano stays well. He's a very highly regarded horse on Willie Wallens's. And a little bit like when he turned in at Cheltenham last year, he just found a gear that nothing could match. And I think when he was approaching the last, he had it in the bag. It was it was almost it was it was game over in a matter of strides. So I was impressed with him. I you have to just consider Henry's horses are still not firing in all cylinders. That was a concern going into Punchstown. You could feel the nerves of his trainer pre-race. I know he always gets a little bit nervous anyway, but I think it was a, a big sigh of relief from Henry afterwards. And I was more confident leaving Punchstown than I was going in because I didn't expect him to be quite as impressive beating rivals of that quality. Right, Jane, everyone else has had their um, tuppence worth on this, so you may as well. Enegumen and Shishkin, and First Flow, of course, and Hitman, uh, heading to the Clarence House Chase at Asker on Saturday. What happens? You may mention a Moolah goal as well, because there's only five runners, so you may as yeah. well mention them all. Um, <laughs> I have a question for, for you, Nick, and for the listeners, okay? So there's one pound in official ratings between Shishkin and Energuemin. There's Shishkin 172, Energuemin 171. Shishkin has won the Supreme and the Arkle. What's the best horse Energuemin has beaten? Oh. Um, uh, now he's done it by eight lengths, 10 lengths, 16 lengths. Like he's been dominant. But just looking through his bare form, the best horse he's probably beaten is Franco de Porte. He's not a superstar, let's face it. A good horse. But not a superstar. Yeah, a grade one winner. And I don't want to down the horse at all. But just when we're talking in the context of splitting hairs between these two horses, it's brilliant, brilliant um, that they're meeting outside of a festival. But you have to tip your hat. Shishkin has done it. And Argumine has more questions to answer. It's definitely worth noting the most significant achievement of the week thus far, perhaps even the month thus far, which is that Donald McCain um, has notched up 100 winners for this season, with a still a full three months, three and a bit months of the season to go, and he, he's with me now. Um, wow, where did that where did that come from? I did, just didn't see it. I just did. I didn't realise you trained so many winners this year. I mean, I know you've done it before, but it's sort of taken me by, by surprise a little bit. Yeah, well, <laughs> it has it has other touch. Look, we we we're a different firm now. We we. We're, we're fairly low profile. We keep our heads down and, and we do our job. And we've not had any great plan to be training bundles of winners this season or anything. But um, the horses have been healthy and in good nick, and and we've just kept tipping away quietly. And and, and it, it, it's arrived upon us as well, if you know what I mean. We, like I say, without us really realising it. 
Yeah, I mean, for those, for those listeners who aren't familiar with the sort of Donald McCain trajectory, if you like, you, know, you, you went quite big, quite quick, trained loads and loads of winners, um, established one of the leading yards in the country. Then things were a little less successful for a little while. You cut right back on numbers and now you're, you're back on the upswing. That's broadly speaking a very condensed version of it. So what do you think are the, what do you think are the key principles behind the operation now? What are you, what are you trying to achieve? Um, I'm, I'm kind of more comfortable in my skin, Nick. You just um, you don't get older without getting a bit wiser, and your priorities change. You know, um, I'm in a position now. I've got no ambition. I don't think I've ever said I've ambition to be champion trainers. And I, I see Paul Nichols and Dan Skelton, and, and I have huge admiration for what they do. You know, but that's just not me. I like my horses, and and we have owners with budgets, and and these horses are hopefully going to be around a long time and and I think because of everything that went on you've now surrounded yourself with owners and staff um, that are hopefully you can see a, if they've stuck with you are with you for the long haul mm. you know and that, and, that, and that gives you a very different view on everything you know if they've stuck with you through the things that have gone on that um they obviously don't have a problem with the decisions you make and it gives you a little bit more confidence to just, you don't have to almost prove yourself to anyone apart from the people, apart from your loyal supporters and just, and just keep your head down and do your job properly. So relatively speaking, you can kind of whistle your way to the gallops every morning and if something does go wrong, it's not a catastrophe. It's just part of the way things happen in racing yards. I think with me, with, with, with the way I am, it's always a catastrophe because... On the other side of that, the people that have supported you and still support you and so on, you put yourself, even though they're not putting you under pressure, you put yourself under pressure because they've been so good to you. Um, so, so it's still the same um, kind of, well, it's not the same pressure, but it's a different kind of pressure. But you're under pressure, you put yourself under pressure because you want to look after the people that have looked after you. I uh, spoke to you when Brian Hughes uh, got his his ton up earlier on in the in the season, and we were talking about why he's good and and, and what makes him a good jockey. And I, I sort of reflected that I wonder if we're going back to the old days of the old stable jockey. It does seem to be the case now that it's sort of taking over from that kind of agent driven go anywhere ride for anyone type type affair. Um, Brian Brian likes the involvement. I think there was a time when. Um, obviously, he, he he has a very good agent, and his agent's one of my best friends. We've known each other since we were kids. Um, but I think with Brian being a northern jockey, there's not that many people, you know, the, 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 there's not that many options, if that makes sense. Mm. So, you know, we in, in, in most of those novices in the north, etc., we, we'll have runners. And it's getting that way again anyway, you know. So he, if if if... Well, I say, if you see the number of rides he's had this season, it's phenomenal, you know. But, you know, he, he likes the involvement. He likes being part of the setup. He likes looking after horses for the long haul. You know, it's not just getting on and off them on a, on a set day. You know, he, he, he's trying also to help these horses last and, and go further. So, so what, was your, what was your best seasonal tally up till now? 153. Is that a possibility or not? Well, I just we were saying just uh, I mean, I, I've just had a look, and it was this weekend. However many years ago, we had a four-time at Haydock, and um, and that was the quickest we'd ever done it. But 
I don't think so, Nick. No, uh, the racing gets tougher through the spring, and 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 the seasons have changed a bit. I mean, you look at this month now. There's just not an awful lot of racing, and when my novices have won, obviously they can't keep winning with penalties and that sort of stuff. And we're not having the numbers. Look, I've got plenty of horses. Don't get me wrong, but I'm never going to want the numbers of horses again that I had. Yeah, that's one of the things you re- one of the things you realise. You know, you. You, you you work out what you're comfortable with and what you can do and and I definitely won't be going down the road having those numbers of horses again. And I, I know it's just a number, but it's a number that's meant I've called you up and it's in the papers this morning. It's a hundred winners for the season. It's still a notable achievement. Um, has it resonated in the yard? Do, do are people bothered about it this morning? It's been lovely actually. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, loads and we had loads of messages last night and this morning, friends, and, and obviously. Another thing is, you get older, your, your group of friends gets a bit smaller, but a bit closer and stuff. And, and we've had loads of nice messages, and the owners are happy. And the, we took the lads out last night for for a few drinks and that sort of stuff. And um, they're working the socks off, you know, they really are. And I've never had so many people working for me that have been with me for such a length of time, you know. And and the large majority of them have been with me through everything, you know. So it's, it's it's a massive team setup, Nick, and, and, and it's great. It's just really satisfying. Oh, lovely to hear Donald McCain on such good form and with 100 winners under his belt this season and flying the flag with, with great purpose and great skill for Northern Jump Racing with the assistance of the excellent Brian Hughes. Now, his near neighbour in a few days, weeks, months' time, we don't know precisely at the moment, could be... Uh, classic winning trainer Hugo Palmer, who, according to the Racing Post, in his advanced talks to move from his new market based Cheshire to the bespoke training establishment set up and built by former England footballer Michael Owen and from where Tom Daskin has trained several hundred winners over the last few seasons. Jane, it's an interesting move for a trainer who's well established and one that's probably taken a few people, if it does happen, by surprise. It might be surprising to you and me because from the outside in, we're looking at a, a guy who had a group one winner this year with Ebro River and consistently has a strong roster of owners. Um, but it is a personal decision for him. I'm not surprised that Michael Owen has targeted a trainer that has proven form at group one level. And yeah, as I said, it's it's a personal decision for him. He'll obviously make you know his own negotiations as regards monetary value but his own negotiations regarding what owners will stay with him and it's a conversation to have with each individual owner so uh yeah it's interesting that the news has broken without actual confirmation because um it's suppose it's it's a it's a big move in the career of if in hugo palmer and you want it to be confirmed before people start discussing it absolutely i think the only observation i would make is that if if he does do it I think it's a, a bold and, and buccaneering move. You know, I, I, I don't think once you've trained a couple of classic winners, you've got too much to prove to people as regards your your ability level, your ability to train high-class horses, as you say, another Group 1 winner this season. And I think, I think racing in, in Britain can be very new market-centric in its outlook and a sort of rather narrow-minded perspective that you, you, can't, you can't train good horses outside new market. Well, so many trainers have proved that time and time again. And I think having a strong hold, a, a strong base in a different part of the country, as Donald McCain's proving over jumps in a, in a very similar region, can't be a bad thing for the nationwide sport. And uh, all power to them if they if they combine to produce a a really powerful stable up there and to build on some really excellent work that that Tom Dascom has achieved, um, establishing that stable for virtually from from scratch. And 
um, look forward to seeing where, where he heads off to next as well. And if Hugo Palmer is harbouring thoughts of the classics with the likes of Ebro River and Dubawi legend, then one man who's harbouring similar thoughts the other side of the Atlantic is Kenny McPeak, because the Kentucky-based trainer has four of the 22 individual horses listed in the second future wagering pool for the run for the Roses the first Saturday in May. But as he's been telling me, it's not the first time he's gone into the spring with a serious clutch of three-year-olds. Well, years back, I had um, I had Repent and Harlan's Holiday, who were one point, you know, one and two on the Derby list, and Harlan's Holiday went off the favorite and a lukewarm favorite, and Repent unfortunately, uh, you know, chipped an ankle before the race, so he didn't make the Kentucky Derby, but he was significant cold in his own right, and then I won the Belmont with Sarava, mm. <laughs> so so that wasn't a wasn't exactly exactly a chop liver season. <laughs> that was a pretty good season. Um, you know, Take Charge Lady was in that group too, and some said I should have run her in the Derby. But um, anyway, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, th- things are coming together, and um, real proud of my team and my clients. And and uh, you know, look, uh, you know, maybe it's our turn. Fingers crossed. Quite a diverse group of horses, isn't it? You couldn't say that they've all come off the same production line or have taken the same route to to this point. Well, about three of three of the four as as yearlings, which is kind of my specialty. And then, interestingly, we bred Dash Attack, who's who's uh, who won the Oakland race, Smarty Jones, and um, we bred him in partnership with uh, Rick Greenberg on our farm, Magdalena in Lexington. So, so that's um, really proud of that. Um, we, we have a small operation there, but um, he he acts like a horse that's got a chance in this. Uh, particular series and you know fingers crossed one of them gets it done so how do you decide now which preps you run them in and where they go and what's going to suit which horse yeah how, how do you how do you throw those balls in the air and, and figure out how they land well I've, I'm, you know it's instinct um i do believe that that tis the bomb who's primarily run grass in his last few starts however he broke his maiden by 14 on the dirt th- this is a horse that we need to shift back to dirt and I don't think he's going to have any trouble handling that. He's got, he's got a lot of talent. Um, at this point, I'm going to plan on keeping him here in Florida. He's a little bit behind the curve in that he, he has no points at this at this stage, so he needs some points. And so we're going to get him started on the fifth of uh, February if all goes well in the Holy Bull. And he'll probably just keep keep the Florida Derby route. Um, we'll keep him in. Uh, and uh, Gulfstream and and uh, probably point to the Fountain of Youth and the Florida Derby if everything's smooth. And then Small Happy's horse that I think is going to relish a little extra ground and planning on taking him to the fairgrounds to run in the, the Risen Star. And that way I can keep those two colts separated. And um, that's, a, that's a luxury. You know, a lot of times I, I, in other years I may have run him at, at uh, Gulfstream, but uh, he'll like the mile and an eighth in Louisiana and a relatively easy ship from florida and then um rattle and roll is a little behind the curve as far as he needed a little more time he's not been into a significant work routine yet and um i suspect it's going to be early march till he's ready and right now we're we're hoping that uh, the tampa race i think is a good ideal first start for him slim chance would go fountain of youth but um and then, then the other horse, Dash Tech's already at Oakland with our division there. Mm-hmm. So no sense in moving anywhere on him, just sit, sitting put. So you, you've got nice plans for all of them. In your heart of hearts, when you get up in the morning, which one of them, which one of them makes, your, makes your heart beat a little faster? 
<laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's a, I have to play politics here. I can't really say that. No, no, really. It's it's every every day. You just go. You know, kind of you kind of slap or slap yourself and go. Okay, we, we've got this many good horses, and um, you know we've got a really good foundation of some other horses that are in the barn as well. I mean, I, King Fury's there, who was supposed to run in the Derby last year and had a fever, and we've got On Bhutan, who's a wonderful filly. She's pushing a million dollars, and we've got. Crazy Beautiful, who's pushing a million dollars in earnings herself, and and then, um, gosh, I know I've got some, th- I've got six fillies that I can point to the Oaks right now. So um, I don't know. You know, our program is is focused on or bringing developing young horses, and um, I've been fortunate. And I've got people that allow me to go to auction and and what pick out what I like, which is really the like the way I like to do it. Uh, and I don't kind of depend on a butt gate. I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a independent in that regard. And, and, um, I tell them, you know, look, if, if, if I buy them and they can't run, blame me, but if I buy them and they can run, then blame me. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so you're being very diplomatic. You don't want to upset anyone. They're all, they're all Derby winners at the moment. And that's quite, quite right. The, the dream is alive. Shut your eyes and tell me what you think a Derby winner looks like when you see him walking around a sale ring. Well, I think they have, have to have a certain hip. Um, I think they have to have, uh, significant balance and um, and you can't judge how a horse is is going to handle things you know physically and mentally and but you know really we, we're all three of these are just really good-minded horses and and you know we've had horses that um, that sent us this direction before and of course it's a it's a game of failure it's a very I always say you know air is harder to breathe the higher you go in this thing and and um you know, but they're all they're all in with a chance. I mean, a Derby horse is made a certain way. I believe that. I've studied it all my career. I've trained horses that were in the in that realm. I've watched a lot of them. I love going to the paddock and looking at them all and trying to figure out you know which one's the one. But the thing about the Derby is it's a pace race. I mean, you've got to have if you if you don't get any pace, a horse can steal it. If you get a lot of pace, a, a horse that normally wouldn't you wouldn't suspect can come flying late and win. So um, the, the key, I think, is, is to have have the horses in the game and have a chance. Kenny McPeak there. Now let's head to Hong Kong and Jay McGrath. Nick, the topic very much at the top of the agenda this week is vaccination, the human variety, of course. Vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, they're certainly in the news Casper Founds and Tony Cruz, two of the biggest names in Hong Kong racing, have been caught up in a vaccination episode, or in their case, a non-vax one, after the Hong Kong Jockey Club ruled that anybody not double-jabbed would be forbidden to go racing. Both trainers have spent the last few meetings watching their horses on TV. Uh, Cruz has just received his second vaccination, so he'll be back soon, but Casper has so far refused to get his. It means that Hong Kong's reigning champion trainer is unable to attend race meetings. He can go to his stables, go to the training tracks, mix with others in those places, but not at the race course on race day. The ruling is very stiff. The jockey club have had to comply with strict government regulations that are in place as Hong Kong prepares to battle a fifth wave of COVID. If they want to keep racing, it's imperative that they comply. 
Founds hasn't gone public on why he has taken the stance he has, which incidentally is very similar to the case of top West Australian jockey Willie Pike, who has been forced to quit Perth because he won't get vaxxed. But Pike has found sanctuary in Sydney, where they have just announced that jockeys are not required to be jabbed to ride in races. The government rules in New South Wales apparently changed last month. But back to Casper, what will he do? particularly as he's got a string of important engagements forthcoming for several of his top horses this weekend when the Stewards' Cup meeting takes place at Sha Tin, and there are many more to come as well. In the meantime, the champion trainer can look forward to having a winner on today's nine-race card at Happy Valley. He's represented by the capable Amazing News to be partnered by Alexi Bedell, and he looks a value bet in this Class 4 race over 1650 metres. So... Race four, number four, amazing news. Take him in a tote swinger with number one, loyal baby, Zach Person's mount. Alexi Bedell is also worth following in the feature on the card when he rides sunny, sunny star for Francis Louis in the Class 2 handicap over 1650 metres. This fellow was a good second to Zabrowski in a Group 3 contest at the Valley last time. So race 6, number 2, Sunny Star, with 6, Beauty Joy as the danger. Purton has one to follow later. Amazing 1+. plus. Now, you may remember him winning the Derrenstown Stud Derby trial and finishing fifth to Massar in the Derby at Epsom in 2018. Then he was called Hazapur, carrying the famous Aga Khan colours and, and uh, trained by Dermot Weld. He's yet to win in Hong Kong, but he's found his right mark, I reckon, and th- this could be the day. So race eight, number one, amazing one plus. That's all on the Hong Kong beat for now. I hope to be talking about Sunday's big Sha Tin meeting on the podcast later in the week. Our thanks to Jim. Looking forward to chatting to Jim on Friday ahead of the Sha Tin action and some interesting thoughts there on the vaccination situation in Hong Kong. Thanks also to Kenny McPeak and to Donald McCain for their thoughts earlier in the show. Jane Mangan is still with me. Jane, before you go and give us a tip today, the entries for the novice chases, particularly at Cheltenham, are particularly uh, for horses trained in Britain, are disappointing at this stage? Not in terms of quality, but certainly in terms of quantity. Why do you think that is? Yeah, look, everybody will have their own 10 pence on this. Perhaps it's a case of what's the point in entering against Bob Allinger or Fernie Hollow or Brave Man's Game. Maybe, maybe there's a sense of, I don't want to go there, let's be better off in a handicap. Um, but it is notable what since 2020 there was 223, 223 entries. This year there's 163. Um, there's 36 fewer from GB that there was last year. Uh, obviously, maybe Ireland's domination last year has has influenced those decisions from trainers. But um, yeah, it's disappointing because we're likely to get smaller fields. But the ones that are there are like not uncommon, multiply entered, plenty of them with three entries. So don't be under any illusions as to 163. There's probably a fraction of that really going to turn up. I think it's it's a couple of things. I think the trainers are so efficient now. There's a certain efficiency that their ident- their ability to identify top prospects and and get them there is better. Um, the incidence of horses uh, getting leg injuries is probably a little bit lower at the top level because they are protected more throughout the season, as we've discussed. So they're being more carefully targeted. 
Uh, but I think the most uh, important factor, Jane, is that the owners, the modern owner who's spending two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand on these horses that end up at the Cheltenham Festival, they're not paying that money to finish third or fourth or fifth. And they're just not in it to finish fourth or fifth. They, they're not in it. But they don't love that. They don't love turning up to Cheltenham and being part of it. They want to win. You know, they're people who've probably succeeded in business, been very competitive, driven people, and they're not interested in finishing fourth and fifth. I think it's quite sad, really, but it's all about we want to win or we're not interested. And if we don't win, we'd rather go somewhere else, go to Aintree and win there, go to Punchestown, go to Fairy House and win a grade two, whatever. Um, if we can't Do win, we don't want to be in. a narrow approach, though, Nick, because we're talking principally about novice chases. Yeah. It can happen in novice chases. Exactly. Between now and Cheltenham Horses. Exactly. And it isn't uncommon to have a big price winner at the Cheltenham Festival in grade ones. Like, I was only listening to Gavin Cromwell the other day talk about my mate Mozzie. He's got an entry in the Supreme and he's got an entry in the Champion Hurdle because he's thinking the Supreme could turn up stronger. He's just thinking outside the box. That's a different approach. Exactly. And I think it's a great approach. And Gavin still probably has quite a few owners in his yard who might be of that old school, come on, let's give it a go approach. And in fairness to J.P. McManus and Jigginstown, when they were going strong, you know, they'd have a runner in every race because they had a huge amount of horses. But I think these kind of... Owners who are playing in the in the boutique sales and spending big money and only having very very expensive and very good horses, they just don't they don't want to finish third or fourth, and I, and I think that that's just a cultural shift from where we were twenty thirty years ago. That's a shame, but um, I I don't disagree. Um, but it, it it is taking maybe the sportsmanship out of the game. Now, Jane, have you got a tip for me for today? Yes, and we're going to Plumpton, the 2pm, the maiden hurdle, Mark of Gold for Gary Moore and Niall Houlihan. If he settles better today and gives himself more of a chance to get home, I think Mark of Gold will take a lot of beating in the 2pm at Plumpton. Yeah, I'm chairman of the Niall Houlihan fan club. That was Wednesday, the 19th of January. I'm off to Newbury. I'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.